Welcome to another edition of the Always Be Testing Podcast with your host, Ty DeGrange. Get a guided tour of the world of growth, performance marketing, customer acquisition, paid media, and affiliate marketing. We talk with industry experts and discuss experiments and their learnings in growth, marketing, and life. Time to nerd out, check your biases at the door, and have some fun talking about data-driven growth and lessons learned. Welcome to the Always Be Testing podcast. I'm your host, Ty DeGrange, and I am pumped to have George Yuba today. What's up? Hi, everybody. Hi, Ty. How are you doing, George? I'm doing extremely well. Just excited to uh, to chat with you and, and your audience today. Absolutely. George is no stranger to the affiliate marketing world. Uh, been in business, what, 22 years? Pretty much. 22 years this October. Yep. Yep. 19 at Commission Junction, uh, currently at Payload, doing some amazing things. And uh, yeah, excited to dive into it with you. So really appreciate you joining us and uh, let's jump in. What's been new? What's new in Vegas? Give us the lowdown. What, what's, uh, how's life out there? I think everybody's talking about two big things. Uh, well, three, actually. The Sphere and all its cool technology and the U2 show that's starting you know, in September, you know, depending on when you're listening to this, it may be in the future, maybe in the past. <laughs> but uh, the F1 uh, in November, and uh, the and the Super Bowl, and come February. So, who knows if you guys want to stay in in Vegas? You know, I do have my house here. I am renting it for five thousand dollars a night during those peak periods. If you want. Smart man, smart man. Little plug. Is there a vanity code? Uh, enter George at checkout or anything like that? It, it'll be uh, the code will be always be testing. So <laughs> perfect. Brand it just for your users, Ty. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, George is always thinking about the user experience in all aspects of marketing, podcasting, and life. So there you go. George, I know a lot of folks would be curious to learn, how did you get into affiliate marketing in the first place? I, I would like to say it was by chance, and it totally was. I had a friend who was uh, one of the salespeople at this startup in Santa Barbara called Commission Junction, uh, now known as CJ, and was looking for an entry-level role. And I had been in the retail and radio space for many years and I was looking for something different, something new. And although I didn't have, you know, the, uh, the background in online marketing, because of my retail and my radio experience, I had to connect with people and I had to know a product and really sell a product, whether it's radio or retail, it's kind of the same foundation. So coming in, I I went into CJ's customer support department and really revitalized the whole CS, uh, the idea of CS, uh, the calls, the uh, FAQ centers, things like that. And, and some of those changes are still being handled to this day by CJ's um, client support department, the FAQs in the help area and stuff like that. So being on that guiding path of client support using my background of working with people and speaking with people has really kind of helped set the foundation for many years after. That's awesome. 
Yeah, George was when I first got into Commission Junction, I had some performance marketing experience prior to that, which I was grateful for. But George was instrumental and one of the many people helping me learn quickly the industry and get up to speed on it, knowing the landscape, how to do competitive analysis, how to think about improving a brand's health in the affiliate world. And just don't want to underscore, I think from my perspective, you have a very thoughtful approach, an encyclopedic, almost encyclopedic knowledge of affiliate marketing and a ton of years and a ton of reps working with great brands, uh, Commission Junction, now at Payload, and also a really interesting publisher uh, publisher perspective, I think. Would you say that's fair? Absolutely. You know, I part the majority of my career has been at CJ's Publisher Development Department, helping not only the top publishers, and you name a top publisher, I probably had them in my portfolio at one point or another, all the way to new publishers and guiding them along from signing up to CJ to starting to going. And it's not just publishers, but also influencers with the content certified program. So over time, you know, working with clients and working with brands has just become kind of steadfast mm-hmm. in my teachings, in my learnings, and even at Payload right now, because we do have two sides of our business. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Payload is a perk center uh, SaaS platform. So we have clients that use our perk technology to power perk centers on their websites, mobile apps for their members or users. But we also have the brands that I work with to give us the perks to be featured in our perk database. So whether I'm talking to one of our clients who's using our technology to power a brand, you know, I kind of teach them kind of stuff around like what publishers would do. You know, they have to market their perk center. They have to get their users educated about the opportunity. Meanwhile, working with brands and talking to brands about optimization, recruitment, requirements to work with us. You know, we're one of those publishers that do have requirements to work with us. And I've worked with many of those over my career. So making the payload pitch easier to brands and agencies and networks has been one of my core philosophies, you could say. Because I've been in the industry so long, I want to make sure that when I pitch payload, it is done in the most optimized way. Because I know what a brand and the network and the agency needs to know and hear to get the approvals. I think you said something really interesting there. I think a lot of times affiliate, a lot of folks I think like to call it like a a version of like a performance PR or a direct response PR. And there's a lot of relationship, communication, selling, pitching, negotiation as part of that process. Whereas a more programmatic performance marketing channel isn't going to have that. And it's what I'm hearing from you is that you're, you've become adept over the years at being able to kind of assess the situation and and translate a pitch and say, this is why this matters to you. I know what your pain points are, or I'm going to listen and hear what those are. I'm, I know what your needs are, knowing your business model and what you need to grow. And here's why this matters. Here's why you should pay, take notice or, or cut out that those things that are not important, right? I'm one of what, uh, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of affiliates in a, in a network. 
So I want to make sure that in the little bit of time that I have with a brand, I can communicate our uh, strategy and our um, potential in a clear, concise manner. And I hope that brands also respond back to me as well. Brands that can't fit our requirements, like just say that, yeah, just, you know, don't string along just like, let's figure out, can we work together? Yes. Okay. Let's have a longer conversation to figure it all out. But if, if there's not a direct fit right now and that's fine, like, you know, we're not trying to build another coupon site. You know, we're trying to be the best perk platform that we can be. Well, it's it's curated, gated, specific to a community is what Payload's offering, right? Right. And it's funny, you think about it, and that's the affiliate marketing industry as a whole as well. How so? It evolves and it changes over time. For sure. And it's a good uh, kind of perfect segue. How has affiliate changed since you started? Oh, I mean, we'd like to call it the wild, wild west back then. Different business models. Google was, was not the number one website in the world. You know, Yahoo was. Just it's very interesting to think of what online marketing was back then. You know, back then it was click farms and pop-up factories and pop under technology. And over time, there has been certain key things that has forced the industry to evolve and change. And you could pick certain things that have happened, you know, the eBay affiliate program way back in the day, was the largest affiliate program out there. I was the the manager of it at CJ for, for a couple of years uh, during the, the peak period of, of eBay. And it forced publishers to be to get into compliance. There were rules. There were guidelines for the first time ever. And there were clear distinctions of cash back and points back, like that incentive model versus a coupon model versus paid search versus SEO versus email. And so that was like the first big thing. Now we started, because of that program, now people started to think business models and compliance. The next big thing was when Google did their first SEO change and even the first SEM change where no more could there be the same URL 20 times in in paid search ad. It was one like landing page URL for every keyword. That changed how affiliates worked in the space because Google was a main traffic source for Mm -hmm. a lot of these publishers, a lot of these business models. The next major change then happened over 2007, 2008, 2009 with the mortgage crisis and and the collapse of the economy. At that point, if it wasn't for coupon deal sites and cashback sites, many of these brands and many of the networks probably would not be where they are today. Coupon and deal and cashback loyalty sites saved the industry and saved brands at that time. And content sites, like, they did not do well. <laughs> Review sites did not do well during those, those times because people were literally just looking for deals. So the growth of that market really was spurned by that uh, recession that happened in late 07 through 09. 
And then over time, the addition of influencer marketing into the uh, affiliate space has really brought different affiliates. But also over time, the same affiliates are not there. You know, the, the affiliates that were big back then are not the same ones that are big now. You could look at some companies like Honey or Capital One Shopping that are big right now. They weren't really around 10 years ago. So, you know, learning that the affiliates, whether they're top tier, mid tier or new, that also evolves over time. So people can't be stuck in a mindset of, well, site number one was in my top 10, 15 years ago, and it's not anymore. Well, of course it's not anymore. It's evolved. The industry has evolved. Our publishers involved. Not saying that that publisher is bad to work with anymore. No, of course not. Work with that publisher. But don't think that they're going to be in your top 10. There's going to be other people in your top 10. That's super interesting. And might be a nice kind of flow into what are people getting wrong about affiliate marketing that you we can kind of talk through and I'd love to hear your perspective on and maybe debunk some myths. Absolutely. I think a couple of things, this whole affiliate versus performance marketing debate, it's the same thing. You can you can call a piece of bread carbs, but it's it's a piece of bread. It just it is what it is. And there's different aspects of performance or affiliate or influencer marketing. At its core it's the same. So uh, there's a misconception, oh, affiliate marketing is bad, but performance marketing is good. It's the same thing. You're literally saying the same word, just a different spelling. So I think people need to stop that and just get to the core of it's affiliate marketing. It is a tried and true way of promoting your brand across an online sales force of different business models to get your brand in front of consumers or users. Yep. So that's, I think, the big one <laughs> offhand. Yep. A, lot, a lot of the other misconceptions too, like every publisher is inherently bad, like you hear that, or like yeah. every browser extension is horrible. No, that's not accurate. The, the people that say, oh, all coupon deal sites steal SEO traffic, so we're not going to work with them. Where did you get that? Some white paper that was written by a content person to knock out their competition 10 years ago? Like you need to really kind of yeah. I've seen biz, I've seen business decisions and changes be made off of rumors, lies, innuendo, misconceptions. Because people try to put push people in front of the bus, nine seconds to Tuesday. I just made that up. I don't know. Five seconds to Mars, whatever we want to call it. Yeah. It just, it's so. It's common. the name of our new band. <laughs> nine seconds to Tuesday. <laughs> we'll, we'll sign an NDA for that. But I think the big thing here is that people need to understand the biggest misconception too is not everybody, not everybody in the space is inherently bad. And so you really need to keep your mind open and refreshed. Yeah. Do testing. Do things that enhance the opportunity to start a new relationship. And I think just to interject a little, I think that 
you know, we all can see there's multi, there's a lot of reality and reasons why these misperceptions and concerns exist. There's where there's smoke, there's fire and various, you know, tons of fraud has existed in all digital channels, not just affiliate. Affiliate had some gross egregious violators, as you've highlighted from your eBay experience, my eBay experience. There's a lot of reasons why these perceptions are out there. And I think you bring a really interesting point that you have to kind of take them as the data comes in now. It's a very different environment than it was, heck, even six months ago for some marketing channels and some businesses. Look at where D2C is now versus where they were two and a half years ago. You've got all good, you know, all birds not to pick on them, but they're negative free cash flow versus some of the other brands out there they're going up against. So the, the game changes a little bit, hence the need to always be thinking about uh, accurate, objective ways to assess an opportunity and a partner and an affiliate, right? Absolutely. Now, I'm not saying work with every affiliate known to man, but don't pigeonhole yourself into a misconception that could ultimately hurt your business and hurt their business too, because publishers are dependent on advertisers working with them. <laughs> yeah. Let's shift gears just a touch. Last time we talked, you had a really interesting comment around percentage of brands, I think advertiser brands that are doing it right. In other words, they are managing their program really diverse, really uh, effectively, appropriate payouts, monitoring the tracking, all the, the long list of things that you are well aware of. I think I want to say you had a percentage of brands that are are getting it right, and it was much lower than probably people realize. Can you maybe elaborate on that? Yeah, I think when we chatted about that, I said it was probably less than 3% of the affiliate programs out there are actually managed like on all cylinders firing. I think a lot of brands think they are, <laughs> but I think there's always tweaks and there's always initiatives that need to be done. And so nobody could ever be firing on all cylinders at all times effectively. It's just, it's impossible. It's, uh, and so I think people think they're doing a good job and I'm not saying they aren't. What I'm saying is that, are you looking at all the, the recruitment, activation, let's say optimization? Are you looking at compliance? Are you looking at, you know, newsletter communications? Is all those things really at the optimal pace and cadence and certain policies are in place? I'm going to say no. I, I, you could pick a program right now and I could probably tear it apart. You're bringing the fire. Man, this is, I mean, a lot of people listening are going to feel the heat. You're saying, what, 97% of you are not doing a good job? Is that? That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> not saying they're not doing a good job. All I'm saying is that they're not doing everything that they can. And, and, and some of it could be resource, right? If you're one person, if you're an affiliate a manager, at a brand, 100%. Right? Often the case. It's going to be hard to do everything at once, right? So you may have to tag an agency or your network to help you with some of those initiatives. So inherently, it's a time resource question. It's not a, am I doing something wrong question? So Totally. Yeah. So I'm not saying 
any network agency or brand is doing is wrong. All I'm saying is there could be so much more that they could be doing. Absolutely. So maybe drilling down into maybe some categories of areas that are kind of that George checklist of optimization and without giving away all the secret sauce, what are some things that are kind of like, man, you know, for those that have the resourcing and it's not necessarily anything ill will or obviously not, not out of effort, lack of effort, but what are some things that kind of folks often miss? It's a common thing that's like, man, these are just a couple areas where you see issues or challenges that could be improved and elevated with affiliate programs. Absolutely. So let's start with the first thing automatically is new publishers. You should always be looking at who's applying to your program. Why am I stuck in, in a pending application for nine months? That's absolutely ridiculous. Like there should be like fines for things like that. But there's the heat again, George. We're, we're not going to let people off the hook today. No, and, and we shouldn't. We should hold ourselves accountable back and forth across this industry. This industry can be so much elevated if we keep each other on our toes and keep each other to understand and learn from each other. And this is what your podcast and, and all the, the white papers that are coming out, I feel like we're trying to educate the industry more. But I think we ha- need to have a real serious conversation with each other. So new publisher, don't say no automatically to every new publisher that comes in. Like, you're going to miss who could potentially be a top 10 affiliate in three years. And, you know, in three years, they're not going to be letting you in at whatever CPA you're going to pay them. They might have integration fees, a minimum CPA. You miss that boat because you're like, mm, I only want to work with like, the five-star super affiliates or whatnot. So the timing matters of when you get in with a partner and when you get in on media, right? Absolutely. And especially for influencers, because quite frankly, if I'm an automotive influencer and I apply to 20 programs and only two let me in, guess what? I'm only promoting those two programs and I might start getting really good at promoting them. Then six months later, auto brand number three lets me in. I'm like, yeah, I got no time for you. They might be a bigger brand, but I got no time for you because now I'm working with these two really well. So it really is important for brands to really look at those application cues and don't be scared to partner with a new affiliate. Even if they may have like a requirement to work with them, test it out. You know, this this whole always be testing concept. I love this because how can you say no to a publisher if you really haven't tested them out? Now, it might be early in their time. They may only have, have a 1,000 users versus like 100,000 of an, their competitor. But try them out and see what's going on. See what it will take to be successful. So that's number one. Number two, payout. These companies now with like 17 different payouts, depending on the SKU or the type of user, if you're an affiliate... I'm talking to all those brand managers out there that are making these decisions. Put yourselves in the affiliate shoes. And I'm not just talking about the cashback affiliates that have to figure this out. Every affiliate, it's like, how much revenue am I going to make from this brand? If I'm going to partner with a brand that has 17 different variable commission, or am I going to partner with a brand that just pays me 4% on everything? Guess what I'm doing? 
I don't care if you're going to pay me zero to 10%. I'm going to promote the brand that I know I'm going to make 4% on those sales. So I think people really need to start looking at commission structures again. I think they've become overly complicated. I think everything is about you know, attribution percentages and and uh, business models like pay the coupon sites less than than the cash band sites and all that stuff. Why are we getting overly complicated? How can you manage that? If you're a brand new affiliate manager and you step into a program that has all these different biz- terms and contracts, how, how are you going to manage that? Like I, so I think we need to start looking at commission management. Again, these this idea of overly complicating terms based on attribution or uh, some type of situation mm-hmm. is getting out of control. Yeah. And so th- I think when you look at new publishers and you're looking at the foundational thing, which is commissioning, those two alone are, I think, being, I think we could really mm-hmm. come to the table with a better system for those two. Yeah. I like what, I love what, I mean, there's, those are two pretty prime opportunities to assess, look, analyze your program and and kind of look to improve it, make it easier for your partners to go forth and promote you, promote a brand um, with their skin in the game. So I think it's a great, it's a great call out. I like what you said earlier about kind of raising the bar on the industry. I think this is something that obviously part of the intention of this conversation and this pod, part of the work that the PMA is doing that you and I are involved in from its marketing association, uh, tip of the cap, obviously to Tricia, who's on the pod and is helping there and driving that forward. What are some things, like, how do you kind of see that, that, how has that evolved? And do you feel like we're headed in a better direction as an industry for affiliate partner influencer marketing, all kind of, Hold into one. Like, what's the, where do you see that going? I think, you know, a, a lot of that came from, you know, the, the tax issue with the uh, Nexus, uh, the Nexus tax laws. And that, mm-hmm. that was really the first time the end, well, it's the second time the industry kind of got together. First time was around the code of conduct uh, with the, uh, back then it wasn't browser extensions, it was full toolbars. You know, that's, that's an evolved change that has happened in the industry. And so I think people like the PMA, people like just some of the other industry resources that are out there, I think they're on the right path to getting us to not a full consensus. You know, there's different thought processes and mindsets, but there's certain things that we can all rally behind. So, you know, I think the big one right now is FTC disclosures. That's a legal thing from a from a country level. So that's that's a great thing to all be on the same page together as it pertains to, you know, influencer yeah. marketing as well as now the review sites have been added to that. Um, so really great mm-hmm. opportunity there. The next big thing is the browser extensions and policies that are around that. And, uh, you know, there's some networks that have no policy and there's other networks that have extremely strict policies and really kind of seeing if your program really wants to, to work with those partners, but you're on, let's say, a network that has no policy or just lets people do whatever they want, do you need to move to another network so in, so that those 
publishers can be let into your program, but with specific compliance rules? Or are you going to get a network to completely rechange their policy? Like what's more attributable? Like what's more actionable? So I, I think there's certain things around, you know, browser extensions, sub-affiliate, disclosure type compliance things that is probably going to be the next uh, big things after the FTC. So I think groups that can educate and challenge people to do better. Ask the why. Don't do the assumption. And that's, that's a key tactic that I think a lot of people, you know, just completely miss and they really shouldn't. Do you, you think it's a combination of increasing and improving the standards that the industry agrees to, as well as kind of having a, a larger, more quality group of voices to educate? I think you could almost look at it as like, the Senate or the uh, mm-hmm. uh, the Congress concept. Mm-hmm. I think there's representation within the publisher base. So, you know, whether it's the loyalty publishers getting together and chatting it out together and then electing a representative to represent loyalty publishers, you know, that might be something we look at is like, you know, the perk publishers like me, we act way differently than other coupon deal or cashback sites. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So does there need to be representation from the SaaS platform or the Perk affiliates um, to represent us in these? You know, there's yeah. one, it's sad to say there's certain voices that are louder than others in this industry and you always hear them and see their name. And, you know, if you're sitting there on LinkedIn reading their post and you're like, oh no, <laughs> That's a problem because they're the ones that have that leading voice. You need to raise your hand. You need to be like, actually, no, I have no problem having a, you know, devil's advocate conversation. People can devil's advocate against my thoughts and processes as well, too. Yeah. I look forward to that. But the fact is, is that I feel like more publishers and more brands should raise their hands and really have their voices heard. I feel like the industry is still being only represented by the same 10 people that's been talking about the industry for the same 10 years. That's very cool and interesting. I agree with you. I think there's not a lot of other digital marketing ecosystems that, that exist, but there, it's, this one's different in that it's very human relationship-driven it's a small pool in my observation versus others. Take example, you know, programmatic, right? Like, yes, there's been consolidation and text flown in, but like in some ways it's, it's by, by revenue numbers smaller, even though it, it has a chance to grow and, and be bigger compared to it. Then you have a need. What you're also saying is there's a need to rep, be, have a diverse representation of each of the business models that can drive revenue for a brand in affiliate marketing, influencer tech, media house, con- so many different slices of quality content, coupon deal, loyalty. And, and it's just, it's gotten more sophisticated advanced. And it's like, I love your concept of each one of those needs to have a, a seat at the table to be heard and be valued in their own way. And the one thing that is, constant in this industry is change. And 
like affiliate marketing is the most adaptable online marketing system you could ever do. Publishers adapt so quickly to these changes and create new functionality and new opportunity all the time. If you are, if you do search, display, email, and affiliate for your company as a brand marketer, let's say, email marketing really has not evolved that much. <laughs> A lot. It's just about like, you know, does this question mark go into a spam folder or not, basically, or cutting, slicing your... How many emojis can I put in a subject line? You know, usual right. stuff. Right. You know, the fun really comes with like, do you split your audience, A-B testing and stuff like that? But that has nothing to do with the actual email technology itself. That's all your internal database structuring um, and your CSM and your life cycle type of environments. Display, yeah, there's tons of display companies and and there's, you know, the, the the pool for the display or for the mobile display and to really but it's really the same pool, right? It's just different entries into audience pool, audience IDs. Yep. So, but that technology it evolves and it changes, but the pool kind of stays the same. You know, the people who always do display are always in that pool. So really it's just which entry are you going to go in from? When you look at things like uh, search, you know, whether it's a social search, a paid search on the search engines, it's really what the search engines or the social media company has available to you. Like you can't really change Mm -hmm. them. You're not going to call Facebook and be like, "Mm, you need to change this. No. And you're not going to do the same for Google either. And, you know, like you said, there's like 80% fraud in YouTube clicks, right? So, like, these are things you can't change. But in affiliate marketing, you can call one of your top affiliates. Let's say it's a coupon site. And let's say you're a big box retailer and you're just in their home decor category. You can call them and be like, hey, can you add me to, like, clothing and accessories? Because I'm launching that as a new category. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Now you actually get additional exposure on the website just by asking a question. Mm-hmm. Like no other industry will give you additional exposure by asking a question. And it's based on the people. It's based on your relationships. So really it, this puts affiliate marketing as such a key tactic within the overall online marketing sphere in that you could actually make real change in affiliate, you can't, you're never going to change Google. I've made a case like, and, and yes, Google and Facebook are, are needed and warranted most in every situation. But I made a case that with affiliate, you, in some ways, it's more defensible because you've got, let's say, a hundred partners, give or take, that you're invested in. It's almost like the index fund of performance marketing. You've got all of these options. You've got all of this dynamic change. You, you've got partners that are have skin in the game they're rooting for you you know if god forbid one shuts you off you've got 99 others that you can work on google shuts you off you're kind of in trouble which happens meta shuts you off you're in trouble and it happens so it's uh it's i think it kind of lends itself to where you want to see the industry go with this representation of a lot of these business model voices and also kind of highlights like how cool and defensible and such a nice mode it is when you built it up right with all of the diverse business models that can promote you an affiliate. 
having a diverse portfolio is more important in affiliate than it is with for your stock, you know, portfolio. <laughs> yes, agreed. <laughs> <It's> foolproof. <laughs> agreed. So maybe an interesting segue. You over the years at Commission Junction and other roles, you you were representing publishers, but a lot of times you would interact with some of the best brands in the world. You'd see how they're approaching strategic affiliate decisions, strategic performance marketing decisions. Um, we've had a lot of those great growth conversations over the years. But, but George, maybe you can share with the audience some of the, the learnings in the, in the kind of always be testing framework of what you saw that, that really uh, performed where you kind of touched on some of the themes earlier, but what were some examples of brands that just like really nailed it? You really were wowed by or or some things that maybe people can learn from, from those uh, experiences. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's for the people who understand that when you do a test or you do an experiment, you really want to focus on what are your key takeaways? What are you really looking to glean from that? So one of the best examples, we had a brand, a retail brand, that did not work with coupon deal and with loyalty. And because they did not discount uh, in, in their words. And that's fair. When I got to start talking with them alongside of their account team, so it's, I just didn't call them and start talking to them. I really kind of consulted with their account teams to really partner together on their next QBR to really present a test or an opportunity. And what worked out great with this is the brand, although had this like policy, was willing to hear the opportunity to test. So having them be a willing participant in the concept was fantastic. And that's what made the the foundation of the test so successful because the brand was like, okay, yeah, we do have this policy, but let's listen. Let's hear what you have to say. And we decided to just try out one loyalty publisher and one coupon deal publisher. And we brought them in and we we said 120 days. And why 120? We wanted to take out any seasonality of any kind of peak season that it was going through, whether it was Mother's Day, Father's Day, Valentine's, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. You know, give a good chance. Like, don't run a two-day test. Like, that's not going to help anybody. Really kind of focus on those two publishers and say, what do they need to be successful? So coupon deal publisher, they need an offer. They need a deal. And they're, you know, there's the free shipping over $100, but there's no other thing that they could do because they can't discount. But what they realized is that they could do something unique and different in that they could give... Uh, With a purchase of a certain amount of money, they were able to go into their promotions department and get a free, like they were able to do a buy one something for over, it was actually over $300. Mm -hmm. And then you get, they had all these keychains and they were selling the keychains at one point, but they were not really a good seller. So they had like... I'm not going to tell you how many like keychains they had. And we didn't know about the keychains when we brought this up. We were just talking about like, let's figure out some type of different offers or opportunities that we could present. 
they kind of realized they could almost do like a, a BOGO, but it had nothing to do with the price. They weren't discounting the price or the product, but they were saying, if you bought this minimum amount of money, not only do you get free shipping, but you'll also get this, this product. We also talked about buy X amount and then you get a gift card. So that user could then purchase more at a later date. And they never thought about that. They never thought that that would be what a coupon deal. They thought coupon deal sites only promoted stuff with coupon codes. We all know that's wrong. So it was just educating the brand to let them know that that's a misconception and that we can try to find an offer rather than a coupon. And uh, same thing with the the loyalty site. They needed some, you know, obviously they needed the cash back and all that stuff. That test was so successful because we looked at what are the key metrics. They wanted to see if it brought in new customers versus existing. They wanted to see if average order values could be increased with certain, like the, the gift card or the keychain offer. And it was so successful that now they work with coupon deal and loyalty publishers en masse. But it was because mm-hmm. of that one test. And keeping that in mind, any test you do, just make sure you have an open, honest conversation, be open to concepts, and then really understand what are those KPIs at the end of the test to realize, was it successful or was it not? Do we tweak it and retest or do we just stop the test? And that's a big concept. That's amazing. That's super. That's awesome. It sounds like the results were quite well positive, uh, exceeded expectations, then then it kind of led them to open up more of that later on. That's that's fantastic. And not every test I run has been successful like that, but that's just an example of a successful one. Even if it's not successful. Love it. Don't just, the fact that they actually ran the test was a win because- Of course. You know, it, it gave them an option or an opportunity to see if there is a potential. When you're having those conversations, you've seen so many of those negotiations happen where a brand is kind of like, I'm not doing XYZ. I'm anti this. What have you seen to kind of like open the dialogue to what's the aha moment in your view to to get them to say, I'm willing to experiment and test with XYZ? So a lot of the times it's based on specific opportunities. At the time with that brand that I had referenced, that retail brand, their biggest competitor in the space launched an outlet category on the website. And if you know, the brands that typically don't discount, you know, they they tend to have maybe an outlet store with like secondhand stuff or like last season's kind of things. When their biggest competitor launched an outlet store, and let those other publishers in, that was kind of eye-opening because something in the industry was changing. The other fact is they actually had uh, their uh, stock market call. Why am I blanking on those calls and what they're called? Earnings call. Earnings call, thank you. (laughs) They had their earnings call and they were down. And they were saying, oh, well, it's market changes and it's consumer behavior changes. But was it really? So... We, we kind of used those two and say, hey, why don't we test this out? Could we increase sales for you? 
Because, you know, according to your own corporate, you're down. Yeah. Yeah. Although our affiliate program, they, they were still up year over year with their existing affiliate pool. But could we help their overall uh, company do better if affiliate became more of the pie? Yeah. So that's kind of the concept. And then we showcase some of their competitors who they we asked them who their competitors are. We let them ask the questions. And then we showed them your competitors actually on this coupon site, this cashback site, this, you know, this um, shopping comparison app. No, it was a like a trademark plus coupon publisher. Got it. So, you know, with this search publisher. So it was giving mm-hmm. the examples, literally screenshot examples of what they say their competitors are doing so it's it's we not really FOMO that's not what we were really going for what we were going for is much educate them that there's an opportunity out there and then we could test if they wanted to jump into that opportunity pool with just a couple of affiliates to see if it was worth it love it all right geo we're switching gears we're going into the fun zone and we're going we're going Rapid fire. Okay. Most refreshing beverage of the summer for, for Gio. Lemoncello spritz at Italy. Whoa. Okay. Whew. Otani, you're a baseball fan. You're an Angels guy. Is he going? Is he leaving? And if so, where? I hope that he doesn't leave. Obviously, he's out for the rest of the season. But um, I hope he does not leave and go to that other team in the city. But they that team has other issues uh their own. You can name that team, but let's not. Yeah, the, let's not. The Dodgers have their own issues with their pitching staff. No comment. But uh <laughs> so I'm a big sports guy, guy. Like everybody listening, like I love my sports and I will always mad dog the the other teams that are not my teams. <laughs> love, love it. You're also well traveled. What's the bucket list destination? that you want to add to the list? Um, Antarctica has always been on that list. There is a cruise. I'm a big cruiser, everybody. There is a cruise that leaves from Santiago, Chile, and ends in Rio de Janeiro. It's an 18-day cruise. And if the conditions are good, they actually do a two-day stop off of Antarctica. So you can actually say that you've been there. And that's just one of those cruise, the, the cruises that I, just a place in general in this world. That I would love to see before you know, it's yeah. It's, uh, certain ice shelves have have drifted off and stuff like that. Yeah, what's your favorite trip of all time that you've taken? Oh, that is so difficult. Maybe top three. I would say I <laughs> the month before the lockdowns in 2020, I went for my best friend's 40th birthday party in Thailand, and that was. Two and a half weeks of we did not know what the next two and a half years were going to be like. I'd I'd done international travel, but never to Southeast Asia. And I just had, we were spent some time in Bangkok, spent some time down in Phuket at Patong Beach. And just, it was, that was an eye-opening, incredible trip for me. We got to go back as Jack said, from Lost. <laughs> oh, my Lost newsletter. <laughs> That's, that, was a side, that was a side gig that, uh, for those of you listening, there was an old TV show called Lost. It ended in 2010, so quite, quite a many years ago. 
And uh, I used to write a newsletter because it was a complicated show. So I would summarize what happened in the previous week and teased what was going to happen that week. We sent it out the morning of a show airing. And I had amassed almost 19,000 email addresses over time just based on word of mouth. Like, can you add my friend? And there were people in the industry, like I had people like Aziz Ansari was on my like email list. Like, And I told everybody I was going to delete the email list so their personal email addresses would not get out. So I actually did that rather than selling the list. But um, yeah, it was kind of a, that was a kind of a fun time in my life. A great six years. <laughs> I, I was an avid subscriber. I was an, a big fan of the show and uh, it didn't disappoint. That's for sure. <laughs> What show or movie are you most excited about that's maybe coming soon? Uh, I would say the Marvels, just just because I'm a big fan of of the Marvel series. I'd loved Ms. Marvel and the twist that that TV show took as it pertains to X-Men and, and um, um, Captain Marvel. So um, I'm also a fan of WandaVision. So I'm really happy to see kind of those three main characters kind of uh, lead a movie. Yeah, so I think that's... That's the the big one to uh, to think about. And uh, from TV standpoint, I would say I'm a big fan of soaps and uh, General Hospital. I've been watching for almost forty years. Uh, the show's been on for sixty, and uh, there's some rumors that there's a character that's been in a coma for several years is about to wake up. So I'm really intrigued if that's going to happen during November sweeps or not. It's it's amazing. Soaps is the only genre that's actually lasting through this uh, writer's strike. So wow, they're writing, they're acting. So uh, the strike is not affecting that genre. So it's the only genre that, or the only TV and movie really that's coming out with new content. So wow, the age of soaps all over again. <laughs> are, or are they going to get that resolved? What's what's your thought on where that's going? It's hard. Because there's different things for the different groups. You know, the, the the actors want certain things. The writers need certain things, especially around AI and compensation, around streaming. It's just a very awful situation altogether. Mm-hmm. I do have friends that are writers and uh, do have uh, some family members in the industry. And, and it is really affecting their their way of life. So, you know, my heart goes out to to them on the the picket lines, but it's, it's justified. Yeah. Um, they do need better contracts. It sounds like it maybe wrapping up here. So thinking about all the great things of geo, a lot of things that are known and not known. What's, what's something that, uh, maybe people don't know about you. Uh, that's a really good question. What do they not know about me? Some people may not know, but I actually tried out for American Idol. Uh, season four. Unfortunately, my voice has changed uh, and evolved over the last 20 years. I don't sing like I used to, which kind of sucks. So some people don't know that. And um, I said earlier, I'm from the radio industry and people actually don't know that uh, I used to be a radio DJ in the 1990s because I'm I'm old like that. But yeah, I used to DJ uh, hot AC and country radio stations. I love that. That's so cool. What's the jam of the uh, of the summer or the rest of the year to maybe uh, to wrap up and take us home here, George? Oh, the, the, is there one in particular that you uh, you like? I do like that. There's this old South African song called Makiba that has kind of exploded on the U.S. charts over the summer, and I love that 
the U.S. audience is hearing some like um, you know world music, and it's it's getting its visibility. Uh, you know, it's it's not just uh, that. You know, we're starting to see J-pop come into the U.S. and that's Japanese pop, not K-pop, which is Korean pop. So there's uh, a, a woman by the name of uh, Anna Anya who is really kind of the driving force of J-pop here in the United States. So I'm just excited for, um, I'm a world traveler and I love music from around the world. So I'm happy that that's coming across through like TikTok and YouTube shorts and really has given um, an expansion to the uh, U.S. radio industry of what music, hot music really can be. I love that. I would agree completely. Love the melting pot of different, different things when you're traveling you get exposed to more of that and i think uh i think that's the beauty of 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 our our world and our cultures uh coming together yeah and next time something good is in austin we're gonna have to to check it out there's some good things coming through town and in vegas i believe not mistaken yeah i mean i'm seeing donny osmond tonight in concert so no shortage gotta love it no shortage (laughs) Awesome, George. I really appreciate you going over time and spending a lot of time with us today talking about your awesome experience and insights and having fun sharing your perspective. Uh, I know a lot of people listening would want to follow you and learn more where where it's the best place for them to kind of find all things Geo. Yeah, business-wise, definitely on LinkedIn. So you can find me, George Geo Yuba. And uh, from the payload perspective, if everybody, if anybody's interested, if you are a, a brand or an agency or a network that wants to get their their perk into our database, just email me, geo at payload, L-O-D-E dot com, not L-O-A-D. And then, so you can awesome. kind of see it right there at payload dot com. And then if you are a company, maybe you have an affiliate program or whatnot, and you want to add a perk center for your users and actually be one of our clients rather than just being a perk in our database. Would love to chat about that. I could even look at even discounting your initial SaaS fee um, if you sign up and and actually use, uh, just let me know you heard me on the Always Be Testing podcast and I could hook you up with a, a nice discount uh, to our SaaS feed to being one of our clients as well. Love it. Thank you, George. You're the man. Hit up George for all of those things. And I uh, love chatting with you as always. And have an awesome rest of your day. All right. Bye, Ty. See ya. 